0: You're listening to Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. Our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston's present series of talks, is all about our Christian integrity. In other words, do our lives tell out who we say we are, if we say we're a Christian? And there's a booklet to go with this series. It's called No Compromise. And I'll give you the address after Brian's talk, if you've a pen and paper handy. But now, let's go to Brian.
1: Thanks John. On April 26, in the year 2006, tragedy struck Taylor University in Upland Indiana in the United States. Students and staff were travelling back to campus in a college van when an out of control truck hit them head on. Four students and a staff member died instantly. Funerals were held and the bereaved families mourned their losses. The Van Ryn family received word that their daughter Laura, though seriously injured and in a coma, had survived the crash, the only student to do so. The entire family rushed to the hospital and kept watch day and night over their daughter. The crash had badly injured and even disfigured her. As the days went by, Laura began to open her eyes and gradually she began to speak. Her family rejoiced at the progress she was making. But then she started to say some really strange things. Her boyfriend felt confused and started asking questions. But they reassured themselves that the strange things she kept saying were all due to her head injuries. But when they called her by name, she kept shaking her head and saying her name was not Laura, but Whitney. Oddly enough, there had been a Whitney in the van but she'd been one of those killed outright at the scene of the crash. Her family had already buried her. Why did Laura keep referring to herself as Whitney? Then after comparing dental records, officials uncovered a huge blunder. Someone at the scene had wrongly identified the lone student survivor as Laura. In fact, Laura Van Ryn was dead. The young woman in the rehabilitation centre was not Laura, but Whitney Serac. Laura's family revealed that they'd suspected that the patient in the hospital was not their daughter for several days before they informed officials. Soon after the accident, the Van Ryns had in fact noticed several indications that Whitney was not Laura, such as discovering the difference in Whitney Serac's teeth and her navel piercing. And then, of course, Whitney Serac later stated that her name was Whitney, not Laura, after coming out of her coma. Laura's parents revealed that family friends eventually had expressed concerns that the woman that they were caring for was not their daughter. The father said Whitney had accused them of being false parents. Finally, when Whitney told Laura's sister the name of her parents, Newell and Colleen, it was then finally that Laura's parents notified officials of the tragic mistake more than a month after the accident. They explained their actions by stating that they were convinced by medical personnel that Whitney really was their daughter, but also that emotional distress had kept them from realising the truth sooner. Well, of course, it was clear that the coroner had failed to positively identify all the victims, and he soon announced his retirement. The incident made international headlines as a shocking case of mistaken identity between two of the victims... Laura Van Ryn, who died on the scene, was mistaken for the surviving Whitney Serac. This was due to Whitney Serac being in a coma for several weeks, a minor resemblance between the two women, swelling to Whitney's face and the fact that her family had been reluctant to personally identify the body. The funeral had actually been conducted with a closed casket, and the mistake was not discovered until Whitney identified herself after waking up from a coma a month later. We can only imagine the shifting emotions between the two families involved. One family thought their daughter was dead, but found out that she was actually alive, while the other family, having initially rejoiced at the survival of their daughter, later discovered that she'd actually died at the crash scene. A mistake like this traumatises, not least because we derive our identity from relationships. Without them, I cannot be me. But who am I? Before we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal saviour, we were previously identified with Adam, the first human whom God created. We were, as the Bible says, in Adam. Adam, of course, as the Bible's first book reveals, sinned by disobeying God, his creator. He then became the head of a race of sinful human beings to which we all belonged by natural birth. It's as if God viewed us as sinning in and with Adam, the first man. Unfair, you might think. But only if the story ended there. We thank God the Bible is the story of two men, the second being Jesus Christ, God's Son sent from heaven. He became also truly human and was without any personal sin. He offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins when he died on the cross. All those who are joined to him by faith, by a new spiritual birth, are viewed by God as also dying with Christ to the penalty of sin. The cross of Christ divides between two races of humans, sinners headed up by Adam and believers made right with God and headed up by Christ. This is the only racism that has any validity because we all belong to the one human race. We are all of one blood. When we come and stand at the cross by faith, God takes us out of Adam and places us in Christ. This effectively happens at our conversion, but the basis for it was laid at the cross. There in the purposes of God we were taken from a position of being in Adam and given a new position of being in Christ. We actually become a different person with a different identity. New thinking, new ambitions, new standards, a new quality of relationships and of behaviour should all flow from that very real fact. But do they? Or are people confused as to our true identity? How can a crash victim's mistaken ID be quickly discovered, but we can spend far longer in worldly company without our Christian ID being discovered? The Apostle Paul gave the answer when he implied how Christians all too easily become conformed to the world. What this means is that the outward appearance of our lifestyle looks a lot like that of the non-Christians living around us. What Paul actually said was in Romans 12 and verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the remedy there, as well as the problem into one of our churches recently, walked a gypsy Christian. That's a believer belonging to a Roma community. He didn't watch TV, wasn't in touch with the news, but knew all the old hymns, and was very enthusiastic about the Bible and his faith. He wasn't conformed to this world at all. His Christian identity was clear. John Bunyan, who wrote the classic Pilgrim's Progress, also wrote of people like that. He said... I heard, but they were far above, out of my reach. Their talk was about a new birth, the work of God on their hearts, how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus, and with what words and promises they had been refreshed, comforted, and supported against the temptations of the devil. And methought they spake as if joy did make them speak, they spake with such pleasantness of scriptural language, and with such appearance of grace in all they said, that they were to me as if they had found a new world, as if they were a people that dwelt alone and were not to be reckoned among their neighbours. By contrast, how long do people need to be in our company before they discover our true identity? Sure, Bunyan's language there was old-fashioned, and we don't want to appear odd, giving the impression that the Christian message lacks relevance. But if we overemphasise the value of our street cred, we lose our message." Christianity isn't meant to be cool. Our Lord taught us to expect that the world will hate us. If it doesn't, we're probably not living right. And you know, again we can find an Old Testament example of that same issue. A time when people were unsure whose side David was on and whether he truly belonged any more among the people of God. In First Samuel 21 we read, David arose and fled that day from Saul, and went to Achish king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart, and greatly feared Achish king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them, and he acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva run down into his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen, that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? David found it convenient to disguise his true identity by acting the madman. Whenever we feel intimidated by the worldly company that we are in, We can act like we're one of them. Surely that's madness on our part too. Let's come back to sober-mindedness with another reminder of Romans 12 and verse 2 that we're looking at earlier. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transforming mentioned is like the word for Christ's own transfiguration. It's a change that comes from within, one which reveals our true identity. This is so different from the type of conforming that's typical of the devil, which is an outer change that conceals the true identity within. I'll leave you with the question, is your true identity clear?
2: Of Jesus be seen.
0: Wouldn't this world be a wonderful place if everyone reflected the personality of Jesus Christ? May we all try then to seek to identify with the Lord Jesus by the help and working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, so the beauty of Jesus indeed is seen in us. Now, as I said earlier on, we've a free booklet to accompany this series. And if you'd like us to send you one or more copies for group studies, Ask for the title No Compromise, and you can contact us by email or by post. Here's the address Search for Truth, Church of God, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And the email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also find some past programmes from Search for Truth, and helpful material on our website. And if you wish to, go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk So it's been great to have you with us, and please join us again next week if you can. And until next time, though, it's our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers Stephen and Justine, and me, John. Thank you for listening, and goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you.